Section 10 of The Life of Mozart, Volume 1, by Otto Jahn. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Life of Mozart, by Otto Jahn. Section 10, Chapter 4, Part 1. The First Opera in Vienna. The approaching marriage of the Archduchess Maria Josepha with King Ferdinand of Naples furnished Leopold Mozart with a pretext for repairing to Vienna with his whole family. This he did in the beginning of September 1767, with every expectation that the public of that brilliant capital would recognize the progress made by Wolfgang since their former visit. They travelled quickly were invited to dine with the bishop at Lambach and the monastery of Melk, where Wolfgang tried the organ. His playing was at once recognized by the organist. Misfortune awaited them at Vienna. The charming and universally beloved Princess Josepha fell ill of the smallpox, which carried her off in less than a month. This, of course, put a stop to any appearance at court or at the houses of the nobility. Leopold Mozart had been advised, when in Paris, to follow the example of the Duke of Orléans, who had set the fashion of inoculation with his own children in 1756, and to, and to, graft the smallpox in his little boy. But I prefer, he wrote, February 22nd, 1764, to leave it all in God's hands. Let him, in his divine mercy, dispose as he will of the life of this wonder of nature. Now, however, he took instant flight to Olmütz with his children, but they did not escape. First Wolfgang sickened, then Marianne. Count Leopold Anton von Podstatsky, dean of Olmütz and canon of Salzburg, which would account for his acquaintance with Mozart, out of compassion to the distracted father, took the whole family into his house, making light of the risk of infection. In the deanery, well cared for, and skilfully doctored, the children passed through all stages of the disease, which, with Wolfgang at least, was so severe that he lay blind for nine days. Again is the saying proved true, writes Leopold Mozart, in te domine speravi non confundar in eternum what extraordinary and unexpected good fortune it was that count p should have been willing to receive a child with the smallpox i cannot tell you with what kindness and goodness we were treated who else would have received a family under such circumstances and that from an impulse of pure humanity this good deed shall redound to the honour of the Count in the biography of our little one, which I intend to publish some day, for I consider that it is the commencement of a new epoch in his life. He endeavoured also to bring about an expression of gratitude or at all events of approbation on the part of the Archbishop towards the Count. For several weeks after his recovery, Wolfgang was obliged to be very careful of his eyes, and his daily visitor, the Archbishop's chaplain, Hay, afterwards Bishop of Königsgrätz, Ferner to Frau von Sonnenfels, strove to relieve the tedium of his enforced idleness by teaching him card games, in which the boy soon became as great an adept as his instructor. 
he threw himself with the same zeal into the practice of fencing having at all times a great love of exercises demanding bodily activity when his recovery was complete he composed an aria for the little daughter of his physician wolf of which her father reminded him in later years may twenty eighth seventeen seventy eight on their return journey to vienna they stayed for a fortnight at brunn where they were received with great kindness by count franz anton schrattenbach brother to archbishop sigismund of salzburg all the nobility residing at brunn treated them with the highest distinction but at vienna which they re-entered at the beginning of january seventeen sixty eight difficulties crowded thick upon them at court indeed their reception took place sooner than they had dared to hope the empress maria theresa had scarcely recovered from the smallpox when she remembered her admiration of the children and sent for the family the emperor himself came into the antechamber and conducted them to his mother no other person being present but duke albert of saxon teschen and the archduchesses they passed two hours in the midst of this family circle the empress a motherly woman conversed intimately with frau mozart and questioned her on all details of the children's illness pressing her hands and stroking her cheeks compassionately while the emperor discussed musical and other matters with wolfgang and his father and and made nannerl blush very often this unusual condescension was gratifying to the patriotic feelings of the mozart family but it was not directly profitable the empress presented them with a pretty medal of small value but as she had visited neither the opera nor the theatre since the death of her consort and had discontinued all musical parties a summons to play at court could only come from the emperor but joseph showed little inclination to liberality in the cause of art and others besides leopold mozart complained of his parsimony the nobility followed the example of the court and avoided any appearance of extravagance in order to ingratiate themselves with the emperor dancing was the only amusement during the carnival but whereas formerly the nobles vied with each other in costly entertainments at which distinguished artists were nearly always present they now gave their balls in public rooms and at small expense leopold mozart suspects that the court made its advantage by this contracting for all dancers masquerades and balls and sharing the profits with the contractor under these circumstances the good recommendations mozart had brought with him were of little use he had letters to the master of the horse count von dietrichstein who was high in the emperor's favour to fräulein josepha gutenberg the empress's right hand and to the court physician logier a travelled and accomplished man of considerable talent and excellent judgment in music all that was refined and cultivated in viennese society flocked to his assemblies among mozart's patrons were also duke johann karl von braganza a man of the first importance who had proved his spirit and courage at the earthquake of lisbon and as a volunteer in the austrian army frequent travels had increased his knowledge and enlarged his views he was an excellent companion and a thorough musical connoisseur gluck dedicated to him his paride et elena seventeen seventy 
and in the well-known dedication explained that he sought in the duke not so much a patron as a judge of thorough knowledge fine taste and unprejudiced opinions the mozarts were further favourably noticed by prince kaunitz an elegant connoisseur but a man of such exaggerated anxiety on the subject of his health that he would not admit wolfgang into his presence as long as the traces of the smallpox remained on his face but the viennese generally were not enthusiastic for art leopold mozart gives the following account of them the viennese public as a whole has no love of anything serious or sensible they cannot even understand it and their theatres furnish abundant proof that nothing but utter trash such as dances burlesques harlequinades ghost tricks and devil's antics will go down with them you may see a fine gentleman even with an order on his breast laughing till the tears run down his face and applauding with all his might some piece of senseless buffoonery whilst in a most affecting scene where the situation and action are alike irresistibly fine and pathetic and where the dialogue is of the highest order he will chatter so loud with a lady that his better informed neighbours can scarcely hear a word of the play recollecting the efforts that were being made just at this time by sonnenfels and his colleagues to introduce a higher style of entertainment in vienna this description will not appear exaggerated indeed leopold mozart fails to animadverge on the main entertainment of the viennese the barbarous baiting of wild animals under these circumstances it is conceivable that the same people who raved about the performances of the little prodigy felt little interest in the development of an artist's genius to this passive indifference on the part of the public was added the active opposition of envious musicians living by their profession who had been ready to applaud the precocity of a child but who saw with quite other eyes the arrival in their midst of an accomplished musician ready to meet them on their own ground leopold mozart says of them i soon found that all the clavier players and composers in vienna were in opposition to us wagenseil only excepted who being ill could be of little use to us the plan adopted by these people was to avoid all opportunities of seeing us or of learning the extent of wolfgang's attainments why was this in order that when they were asked whether they had heard the boy and what they thought of him they might reply in the negative and deny the possibility of what they were told that they might assert his performances to be impostures and mere buffoonery got up beforehand and all that he pretended to compose to have been previously learned now you see why they avoided us they knew very well that if they saw and heard they would not have a word to say without the risk of losing their honour but i set a trap for one of these good folks i persuaded someone to give me quiet notice of his presence and to induce him to bring an extraordinarily difficult concerto which was to be laid before wolfgang this all took place and he had the satisfaction of hearing his concerto played by wolfgang as if he knew it by heart the astonishment of this composer and clavier player the expressions of which he made use in his admiration let us all into the secret of what i have told you above he ended by saying i must honestly declare my opinion that this boy is the greatest musician in the world i could not have believed it
but a solitary triumph of this sort could not do much against the secret enmity of an envious cabal the emperor himself furnished a better weapon by a proposal which was calculated to display wolfgang's powers in the most brilliant light he ordered him to compose an opera and intimated a wish that the boy should himself conduct the work at the clavier both father and son eagerly seized on this proposal the more so as success would not only ensure their position in vienna but would pave the way for the young artist to italy and the italian stage the emperor announced his wish to the theatrical manager affligio leopold mozart knowing that the fate of an opera greatly depends on the performers strove to win the goodwill of the artists male and female this was not difficult to accomplish for it was felt that unusual applause would be given to the work of so young an artist and affligio was urged on all sides to undertake the production of the work he was ready enough to consent and concluded a contract to produce the opera with an honorarium to the composer of one hundred ducats the singers available for opera seria were not by any means of the first rank on september twenty ninth seventeen sixty seven leopold mozart gives as his opinion that hasse's opera parthenope is fine but the singers considering the occasion indifferent tibaldi was the tenor rauzzini of munich the best male soprano the prima donna was elisabeth daiberin Tiber, daughter of a viennese court violinist and pupil of tesi and hasse gluck had not been willing to entrust his alceste to these singers alceste was brought out in vienna on december sixteenth seventeen sixty seven bemasconi made a great sensation as alceste but tibaldi took admetus the mozarts were then at olmutz but they had an opportunity on their return of hearing what leopold mozart calls gluck's melancholy alceste it is a remarkable coincidence that in the act of writing his first opera wolfgang should have witnessed in gluck's alceste the most marked attempt yet made for the reform of dramatic music and it is not unlikely that early association may have been partly the cause that he afterwards studied alceste with unquestionable partiality leopold mozart's ideas were too firmly rooted in the tradition of italian music to enable him to appreciate gluck's innovations that the public in general were of his opinion is evident from sonnenfeld's mimicry of the gossip not of the gallery but of the boxes of the nobility this is edifying nine days without a play and on the tenth we get a de profundis what this is meant to be pathetic well perhaps we shall shed a few tears presently from ennui come this is throwing money away it is too absurd a fool of a woman dying for her husband the members of the opera buffa on the contrary were of first-rate excellence the die was cast therefore for an opera buffa the text was furnished by marco coltellini who had been theatrical poet in vienna since seventeen sixty four and in seventeen seventy two was made imperial poet at the court of st petersburg he wrote after the manner of metastasio who complimented him highly his principal libretti were for gasmaun amore psyche hasse piramotispe salieri armida and for mozart la finta semplice in three acts fifty one köchel 
Wolfgang set to work at once in order that the opera might be ready by Easter. As soon as the first act was completed, it was distributed among the singers, who expressed their entire satisfaction and admiration. But delay was caused by the poet, who proceeded so leisurely with the alterations in the text required both by composer and performers, that he had not finished them until after Easter. Mozart, nothing daunted, composed eagerly and industriously, wrote new airs whenever they were demanded, and had soon completed the score of twenty-five numbers and five hundred fifty-eight pages, in three parts. In the meantime, intrigues were set on foot from all sides to hinder the production of the opera. Advantage was taken of a natural feeling of repugnance at seeing a boy of twelve years old conducting in the place usually occupied by Gluck. Leopold suspected Gluck of being concerned in these intrigues. It is true, he wrote at first, I have brought Gluck over to our side, and even if he is not quite sincere, he has to keep it to himself, for his patrons are also ours. But later, he says, in plain language, So far, all the composers, with Gluck as their leader, have left no stone unturned to hinder the progress of this opera. The decision with which Gluck proceeded on the path he had marked out for himself may have caused him to take less interest in Mozart's youthful genius than seemed to the father right, and the latter may have been still further repelled by Gluck's unsociable manners. But envy and intrigue directed against struggling talent are inconsistent with the composer's proud and upright character. Nevertheless, the music was condemned beforehand as being not worth a groat, suiting neither the words nor the metre, in consequence of the boys not understanding Italian sufficiently well. Thereupon Leopold caused Hasse, a man honoured for his reputation, beloved for his gentle disposition, and justly called the father of music, and Metastasio, as the highest authority, to pronounce their opinion in opposition to Gluck and Calzabigi, that of thirty operas produced in Vienna, Wolfgang's was incomparably the best, and worthy of the highest admiration. Then the mode of attack was changed. The composition, it was said, was not Wolfgang's at all, but his father's. This assertion also could be disproved. At a large assembly where there were present Prince Kaunitz, Duke of Braganza, Bono, Kapellmeister to the Prince von Hildburghausen, Metastasio and Hasse, a favourite volume of Metastasio was opened, and a song taken at random was given to Mozart to compose and write down with orchestral accompaniments, a proof which at least left no doubt of the boy's technical skill and readiness. Nimechek confirms this through the testimony of credible persons who had been present at similar tests. In spite of all Leopold Mozart's exertions, the unceasing slanders issuing from the stirred-up hell of music reached at last the artists who were to represent the opera. The orchestra were encouraged to resent the leadership of a boy. The singers, although they had one and all declared themselves fully satisfied with the music, now that they saw the strength of the opposition, began to fear the effect of the opera before the public. It became their interest to postpone its production and to shrug their shoulders over the composition whenever they saw an opportunity. 
leopold mozart complains bitterly of the duplicity of the singers some of whom scarcely knew their notes and had to learn everything by ear and assures count zeil who thought that all the musicians were in wolfgang's favour that he must not judge from the outside but must learn the inner malice of the creatures soon the impresario who had undertaken the production of the opera chiefly on account of the effect likely to be produced by the boyish age of the composer began to reflect on the risk he was running and to draw back affligio was an adventurer and a gambler who had procured an officer's commission by swindling and had risen to be lieutenant-colonel his utter want of sympathy with art was illustrated with the anecdote that being present at a bull-baiting where two dogs were pitted against a hungarian ox he remarked to a friend believe me i prefer these dogs to aufrene and neuville two excellent actors then high in favour with him his name acquired an unhappy immortality by the share which he took more than once in the struggle of the legitimate drama against the buffoonery of the age he was at last sent to the galleys for forgery and there ended his career with such a man as this had mozart to do he postponed the opera on every possible pretext from easter to whitsuntide then to the emperor's return from hungary and so on continually putting one opera after the other into rehearsal and as often as leopold mozart wrung from him the order to copy and rehearse wolfgang's opera so often was it secretly recalled the emperor's interest in the work remained unabated and he frequently inquired after his progress from wolfgang but even his influence could not prevail against affligio who held his position quite independent of the court he had the theatre on a lease and bore all the expenses the imperial family having the privilege of free ingress affligio had promised the nobles and especially prince kaunitz to revive the french drama discarded in seventeen sixty six he accomplished this in seventeen sixty eight but according to leopold mozart at a cost of seventy thousand gulden and a great loss to himself prince kaunitz strove to make the loss good by an appeal to the emperor to share in the expenses but this attempt failed signally under these circumstances no influence from this quarter could be brought to bear on affligio and nothing remained for leopold mozart but to overcome his evasions step by step when at last affligio was driven to bay he declared that he would give the opera if leopold mozart insisted on it but that it should not benefit him much for he would take care that it was hissed off the stage after this threat which would certainly have been fulfilled nothing remained but to give up the production of the opera on september twenty first leopold mozart justified himself to the emperor by a formal complaint against affligio which was entrusted for delivery to the court director of music hof und kammer musikdirektor count johann wenzel spork a zealous musical friend but as might have been foreseen it was without result for nine months the affair had thus dragged on during which time leopold mozart had been living with his family at vienna almost entirely on the proceeds of their previous tour his receipts at vienna could not but be insignificant and the salary which he drew at salzburg as professor of the violin in the royal chapel and leader of the orchestra 
was withdrawn in march of this year with the observation that he might remain away as long as he chose but that he would not be paid during his absence he was too proud to use the influence of his patron count schrattenbach brother to the archbishop in soliciting the continuance of a salary which in the firm opinion of most of the court officials he did not deserve but he could no longer count with certainty on the future security of his position at salzburg and the rumour even reached him that this was imperilled by the gossip which represented his gains in vienna as enormous and fixed on two thousand gulden as the sum which had been paid for wolfgang's opera End of section ten.